This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, today we are going to answer some more listener questions. Uh, the first one comes from me, actually. I want to follow up on something you hinted at at a previous recording uh, about a month ago. I want to probe one of your financial holes. Uh, that sounds kind of strange. Uh, the second is a question that came to me about my Tesla stock. And the third is from a listener in Australia. It seems like we have uh, quite a contingent of listeners in Australia. And what I mean by that is I know we have at least two listeners down there. So that, that's kind of cool. It seems like a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get into it, we've been to a lot of weddings recently. Doug. We've been to like the past two weekends have both been wedding weekends and we were both there and we started talking at the last one. It turns out that you and I had pretty similar weddings, like very, very small and intimate. Uh, would you have changed anything about your wedding? Maybe. So I'll describe, I'll describe what, we've, what we actually did. And then the one tweak. So we had a short engagement of about three months. That was intentional. We didn't want to go through like a long-term planning thing of negotiating uh, all the plans with every uh, relative. So the shorter, the better, right? And, and back up a second. How long did you date before? Uh, about uh, almost two years, almost okay. two years. So it was like whatever, a year and nine months or something. And we decided we were going to get married at a B&B a traditional B&B up in North Georgia. And they had a quote elopement package and it was good for maybe like 10 guests, but we only had five and it was the, the, the parents, right? There were four parents and one remaining grandparent that was still alive. So those were the guests. We didn't invite our siblings. We just wanted to keep it small and manageable pay for it ourselves so that no one could tell us what to do or even request what to do. We're like, that's great. We're paying for it ourselves. So um, that's really, I'm glad that you have an opinion on that, but we're not going to do that. We did have sort of like a rehearsal dinner slash party with just our friends. And we had that at a bar. We rented out a space and hung out with our friends that night. It was very important for my mother-in-law to have a party to invite a bunch of her friends and such. So they threw us a like wedding celebration that same weekend on the Sunday. So that was more like a wedding reception that is more traditional. There's food, uh, white tablecloth, all the bullshit, right? So that everyone got what they needed, but we did it on our terms very small. The tweak that we might do would be just to leave, get married in Vegas with no one else there and just have a little party so that we don't even have like the, the small little thing that we did with five people. 
Did you have who officiated the wedding? Uh, some justice of, of the peace from that county who worked with the B&B. Okay. So yeah, it was really nice up in Helen, Georgia, if people are familiar with the area. Yeah, nice. And how long have you been married for? 14 years, coming up on 14 years. Oh, that's a long time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what about yours? What would you change? Uh, we, had, we had both our parents there. We had our siblings, and we had uh, each of our best friends and their spouses there. And uh, I thought by keeping it small, it would keep it easy and conflict-free. We had our wedding at an arboretum. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's what they call it, uh, next to the carnivorous plants. And that upset some of the relatives because they were religious and thought we needed to be in a church. Oh, I thought the, the plants upset them. I'm like, I was like, they hate plants or something. <laughs> that too, <sighs> that, that too, probably uh, very uh, meat eaters. But, and then the other thing that happened is one of, um, one of Mindy's siblings had a fit over, I don't know what, I don't think, she, I don't think that person even knows what they had a fit over. And that kind of ruined the whole thing for Mindy. So, I thought, ah, oh, what could possibly go wrong? There's like no one at this thing. We don't even have 15 people, but it all went wrong and off the rails anyway. So <laughs> I would do exactly what you just said. I would go to Las Vegas and go to the Elvis wedding chapel or find something nice and just be Mindy and me and no one else. Yeah. And the, we had no conflict. Ours was perfectly lovely and nice, but just removing like the three months of engagement, um, for any of those discussions. And then, like you said, removing any drama, which we had none, but I mean, if we could give advice to young people, do that. Everyone will tell you not to do it. Everyone will tell you, especially your, uh, maybe some parents, it's really important for you to have like a bigger wedding or do it in the church. If you're able to, if you're able to just elope, you could, they could have a party later but if you do it on your own terms, it's just so much easier. You can have a party later and create those memories. Like I understand that's a wonderful thing, but you can cut out a lot of the BS and do it on your own terms. And once you're already married, like they can't really say anything about it. Now, Elizabeth has heard of a really cool way to do this where you still make all the decisions and hold all the cards, but you invite people for an engagement party. So it's a little more casual. People think they're showing up for an engagement party, but you have someone there, uh, uh, an efficient, efficient, how do you say it? Efficient. Yeah, it sounds right. I'm not even going to attempt that word. <laughs> you know, when you talk sometimes and then you know the word you, that you would read, but then you want to say it out loud and you're like, I don't know how to say that or yeah. I think I'm saying it wrong. Yeah, you think about it. So have a justice of the peace there and get married there. Every, all your friends will be there anyway. You'll have the little party and you've just removed like one year or two years of wedding planning, which if that's what you're into, that's cool. But a lot of folks in our circle, they're not into it. They're not into it at all. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Uh, I think that's perfect. And it's great when you can just, you make the decision and you don't have to negotiate with a bunch of other people who eventually get you to do something that you don't want to do. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, that's what'll happen. It's your wedding, yeah. right? Okay. Now, what, what is this one about again? What's yeah. this episode? Uh, yeah, we are, this is a mailbag episode and we have three 
different questions. And the first one comes from me, so it's actually not a mailbag episode. And I want to tread carefully here because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make anyone angry. But, but Doug, you referred to, um, uh, oh God, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. You, you referred to something you have and you exaggerated the size. I think you hinted that it was very big mm-hmm. and a lot of, a lot of guys will, will do that type of thing. So I want to know, I guess I shouldn't actually ask you how big it is. Cause that might be, you might not want to disclose that, but of course I'm talking about your emergency fund. You said you had a, mm-hmm. a massive emergency fund. Um, uh, do you want to pretty open ended, but can you talk about it any more than that or? Sure. Yeah. This is a good question. Cause you mentioned that you basically don't have an emergency fund, right? Yeah. I don't think we even have a thousand dollars in savings. Okay. And this was even in your checking account, you don't have a thousand dollars. Um, yeah, actually there is now that I think about that, there's probably five, but that goes to pay the mortgage, the credit card bills. So that's just our monthly spending. Okay. And then you have it like automated. I will answer the question by the way, but like, so you have automated, um, transfers that go into the checking account and that's just your operating cash flow budget and there's automated expenses that come out of that yes so it's very lean you know exactly how much is going in going out yep i still check check credit card statements to make sure there's no monkey business going on there but yeah pretty much it's all automated okay so basically and i could give like a, a broad sense so people have an idea it's about a year's worth of um quote emergency fund and it's really, it's really the, the joint fund. It's all Elizabeth's emergency fund, basically. So I, I have a business that I run. So I do, I do need to have some cash flow, quarterly tax payments, some other operating expenses. So I probably have a little bit more than I have to have. But running a business, you do want to kind of have uh, some cash reserves just in case something unexpected happens pretty rare in the kind of business that I have, but the tax payments can be pretty large. So I don't want to run too lean and all of a sudden realize I need to move money around in a panic every quarter. So from the family perspective, I would prefer that we had a smaller emergency fund, maybe more like I would say three to six months, something like that. Nothing crazy, but enough to withstand a, uh, you know, a bigger unexpected auto repair or something like that. That said, I mean, most likely we would put that on a credit card and we, we would be able to move money around if we needed to, to cover that. Say if it was like, whatever, an $8,000 car repair for something. Um, but I don't, honestly, I don't have a strong feeling, but, um, as a one member of the household here, I only carry so much weight in the decision. So I'm like, hey, if uh, if having more in the emergency fund makes you feel more comfortable and it doesn't, it doesn't impact us too much, then that's probably fine. Now, I would do it a little bit different, but I'm not the only one here. Yeah, emergency funds are kind of a curious thing. I think they're more important when you're Net worth is less because you have to have that buffer to survive some kind of emergency. But uh, once your net worth grows, especially if you save too much like we did, that can become your emergency fund. The one downside is you might have some 
severe emergency, which I can't even imagine what it would be in the time of a recession, like the stock market just dropped 30% and then you need to buy a new car or something like that. But I think like in our, our case, we have a HELOC, which we could draw money from if we didn't want to sell assets. And the thing I think about with us is Mindy is still bringing in income and I am too, not that much, but uh I guess if we didn't have the income, we probably would have more cash on hand, maybe even like half a year to a year of spending. Uh, one thing I was thinking about, Doug, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is what are the negatives about not having like a bunch of cash on hand is I think it makes me become more obsessed with the stock market. I'm always checking my stocks like multiple times per day. And if I had, a bunch of cash on hand, I don't think I'd feel the need to do it. It wouldn't matter as much because there's no way I'm going to have to sell any of those stocks anytime soon unless I, I really want to because we've got the cash to hold us over. And I think it might be worthwhile having more cash just for that reason to free up some mental bandwidth. I, I would agree with you. I mean, you, you have said that you find it enjoyable to check all the stats and I'm no one to tell you how to, <laughs> how to get your kicks. But if you like that, that's cool. You highlighted the, the one issue, right? Like if you happen to need to get some money and the market's down, that's a little bit of an issue. It probably for you and I and our families, it probably doesn't actually impact anything in a real sense other than like, ah, oh, that, that sucks. Like that hurts that we are selling these at a low point and we know that's not the optimal thing to do. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say the other part is like, if we ran as lean as you did, where it's like, the, it sounds like there's less than a $1,000 of a buffer. Like that also means that what do you do on vacation, right? You just went on the vacation in Hawaii this year. You spent a lot of money. Did, did you have to sell stuff for that? Or like, how, how did you, how, how do you deal with that when you have just, an, it's an expected cost, but then you have to plan ahead for that. And you're not withstand like your, your budget can't withstand that. Yeah. Mindy had a couple good real estate commissions. So we were able to uh, just coast with that and not have to sell any assets. Got it. So like you knew, so basically you, at those points in time, you had an influx of cash and you were like, ah, there's whatever, $15,000, no problem. We'll spend what we, what we want. We'll save the rest at the end of the trip. Yeah. Instead of deploying the cash to cool. an investment account, we did that, but I don't think real estate's definitely slowing down. So I think we will have to so assets next year, we are going to buy the Tesla and um, we have a cruise to pay for that I bought for my family. I think that's due in February. Got it. Well, and I was about to ask about, so let, when you have to spend um, whatever 50K, because you don't get your your EV rebates right away, right? You have to wait to get those. So you're going to have to pay a decent amount. So you would sell some stock at that point, most likely. Um. Actually, the way it works is after January 1st, you do get a rebate at time of purchase. So if I wait till then to buy it, it will be cheaper. I don't have to wait for the tax thing to come back. But regardless, I'll still have to come up with thirty dollars or $40,000 to buy this thing. All right. And then you would sell stock to do that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Don't get the undercoat rust thing. 
You don't, you don't need it, I don't think. How, how about the seat protection? You, did, you need that, probably. I've seen you eat and drink. Yeah, um, <laughs> one other thing with the emergency fund. So Elizabeth and I have been operating with uh, just our, our own wits <laughs> and, and working together to invest and accumulate money and all, all the stuff, right? We're doing our own financial planning. We have been meeting with some advisors. So Elizabeth had a couple friends that have done uh, well, have uh, either retired early or they're in a good position. Actually, I'll take that back. Both of them have retired early. One of them quite young, one uh, in their early 50s. And both of those are um, assets under management advisors. So she did the preliminary meetings. I wasn't so crazy with those um, assets under management advisors. So I just let her do the meeting so I didn't come off <laughs> antagonistic during a meeting or anything. And it's been eye-opening. So so she met with them. I don't think we're going to move forward with either. One of them happened to be, I think, an affiliate for Northwestern Mutual, which I've talked about in the past. That's an insurance company, not an investment firm. I worked with them before. I wasn't happy with the advice that I was getting. So I've ended that relationship years ago. And the other that we met with is our friends, Travis and Eddie, who've been on the show a couple of times and they're at downshift. We'll link up to the episodes, but we've had two meetings with them so far. One was sort of a meet and greet kind of thing. And they kind of heard about our goals. The second was after we input a bunch of data into a system that they use. I believe it's called Right Capital. I think that's the name of it. And then they asked us some clarifying questions and gathered a little bit more information. And we're going to meet with them in just a couple of days for kind of a summary. This is all in their free assessment. Some of the other advisors, they were going to charge up to $5,000 for this. Whoa. And it's kind of amazing what Travis and Eddie do for uh, no cost. And I'm curious to see how the the final uh, free assessment meeting will go. But the reason why it's relevant is they even ask like, hey, that's a lot of money that's just like liquid cash. One, I mean, it's a high savings, uh, high yield savings account, but still it's kind of a lot to have on hand. So that's one thing where I think we can get good advice and like, hey, maybe it would be better to put this somewhere else. Like you probably don't need that much. Maybe there's an alternative or maybe it's a really important thing to have from a psychological standpoint to have that much cash around for some reason. I don't know what that reason is, but it could be some important thing. So we're, we're, um, we're seeking advice from professionals, even though we have a lot of friends, like I'm wearing uh, Mark, our friend Mark's shirt here. Uh, he gives great advice. You're knowledgeable. There's probably like 20 people I know that I could text and ask to look over my numbers, but we want to go to people that see this all the time. Even though you know a ton, Carl, like Travis and Eddie or similar folks, they've done dozens of these. Like they probably can just look at the balance sheet and say, I know the answer to this question already. That's it. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think Eddie and Travis, like uh, shout out to them. Downshift Financial is a, a firm. They specialize in early retirees. So they're going to be able, they're not just really smart about all the laws and all that, but they'll be able to address 
some of the emotions around an early retiree and a lot, and a lot of that. And uh, yeah, super smart dudes. But uh, I don't know. I, I think the error I always make in my thinking is I'm very numerical, just like logical. Your money should be here because over the long term, it's going to earn more than that. But uh, if that perspective doesn't allow you to sleep at night, then you need to come up with something else because uh, yeah, it's not just all about numbers. It's when do they say personal finance? It's personal to everyone. Like I'm always in the don't pay off your mortgage camp. And I know that is a trigger for a lot of people. And I used to maybe be a little judgy or maybe a lot judgy, but if, if that makes you feel better and about life and makes you sleep better at night, maybe you should go for it. Or I, I think you had suggested maybe an annuity, some semi-guaranteed form of cash flow might be a good resolution for your situation become a little bit more comfortable. Um, it's not something I would do, but if it makes you all feel better, then maybe that is the solution. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of, there's a lot of like nuance in it and yeah, we need a, we need some pros to help us out, help mediate, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll report back. Um, and we should have Travis and Eddie on again here pretty soon. We've seen them socially here uh, uh, more and more, but we uh, we haven't had them on the show in a little while. So, all right, cool. Ready yeah. for the next one? Yeah, I am. Okay, so, um, Doug, I wrote a blog post about my Tesla stock, and I was debating or I was debating whether or not I should hold on to this. And my uh, my thing with that stock is, Elon Musk has said, God, I'm just going to trigger a lot of people with mortgages and Elon Musk and Tesla. <laughs> anyway, uh, Elon Musk has said that eventually Tesla as a car company will be worthless unless they can figure out the autonomy, the self-driving car stuff. Uh, you probably don't follow that stuff super closely. But I, I think he kind of has a point there because if, if robot cars are invented, they should be, it, it'll be a lot cheaper to get around with a autonomous car fleet than it would be to to actually own a car because you don't have maintenance you don't have to pay a driver this robot car just comes up they're all evs electricity is pretty cheap so that would replace cars for a lot of people so if you extend that and think about that why would you own multiple cars or maybe even any car especially if you're in a city if you could just rely on that robot taxi fleet to to, to get around um, so if you believe that then uh, Tesla is only going to be valuable and it should only be a long-term hold if they're actually going to figure that stuff out. And I think Elon Musk has said like, I don't know, maybe 10 times it's going to be solved by the end of the year. It's not that many times. I think he first proclaimed it like in 2016, but he's like, we figured it out. And, and with every time their strategy has failed and they've pivoted and done something else. And they just announced they're pivoting once again, like a, a month or two ago, they're, they're abandoning a lot of the work they've done and they're doing something completely different. Have, have you heard about any of this, Doug, or what specifically they're doing? No, I haven't heard any of it. Okay. It's pretty interesting. I'll tell you real quick, there's going to be a little bit of geek speak, but in, in the old way, they would use neural nets to identify something like a stop sign. And then there'd be code that the programmer would write, say, hey, the car, the neural net, the brain of the car has identified a stop sign. So here are the instructions. We have to send a, a command to the brake to hit the hit, hit the brakes to stop the car or read speed limit signs. So it was human written code combined with a neural net to figure out what to do, what the car should be doing. And now they just announced this new crazy thing where they're abandoning the people written code and it's all going to be neural nets 
And, and what they've done, this is where it gets pretty crazy. They don't give the car any rules. So that they used to tell it like what a stop sign is and what a speed limit sign is and all that kind of shit. Now, all they do is show the training computer, like tons of videos of people driving, like, like the camera views from the Tesla. Teslas have cameras and the computer figures out everything. So they're not even telling the computer like what a stop sign is. The computer watches enough video and figures that shit out for itself and creates this whole semantic language and it's called end to end because there is no humans writing code or even interfering with anything. The computer is figuring it all out itself, which is pretty wild. And they don't even know, like the crazy thing is you don't even know what the computer is thinking. Like it's got its own semantics. It's got its own language. So you can't really do anything or influence it. Well, you could, but not directly. You could show it different videos of people doing stuff. Like you don't want to show it a thousand videos of people blowing through stop signs because then the, the computer learns that that's what it's supposed to do at a stop sign, not stop. So you have to give it good data and then the computer figures the whole thing out. So Tesla just pivoted and announced that they're going to do this end-to-end neural net training. And then this is what finally solves the full self-driving thing. And who knows when that's going to come up, but it's kind of a, it's kind of frustrating yet another pivot. So I'm like, well, I kind of believe Elon Musk that, that if they don't figure this stuff out, the stock is worthless. And <laughs> And they've gotten closer, but uh, like if you can have one drive of 100 miles without a, a disengagement, that's an incredible thing, right? If you don't have to touch the computer, but it's got to be so much better than that to be certifiable. You'd have to go thousands of miles, maybe 10,000 miles or 50,000 miles without any intervention to make a system like this viable. And meanwhile, there's other companies who are actually doing this on a small scale with a different, more expensive approach like Waymo and Cruise. Um, so uh, I wrote a big, big post about this and said, what should I do with my Tesla stock? Um, and, and that was, a <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, I, I have, uh, so many questions, but I'm pretty sure we're just going to punt it. Uh, what's a neural net? <laughs> don't, don't even answer. It doesn't matter. But anyways, they've pivoted, um, and they're, they're going to figure this thing out probably, huh? Well, I, I don't know if they'll figure it out. Like, I'm skeptical because Elon Musk says they've got it figured out every time. And then they don't actually have it figured out. And it yeah. runs someone over or does something bad. And and then and, they have to start over again. And it sounds like he saw that Outback commercial. And it's no rules, just right. So he's like, no rules. They're just showing video. People doing weird shit in their Teslas. Is there a camera inside the car, too? Yeah, there is. It's, it's watching you. Yeah, if you... Uh, yeah, oh, that's not good. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Anything could happen. So it says Mike from Twitter says, uh, "What is Carl going to do with his Tesla stock?" So that that was all a preamble for that question. Yeah, it was all pretty much a preamble <laughs> for a long question that no one probably cares about. But yeah, uh, so and, what are you going to do? And I think our holdings are like like one point two million. So it's about <laughs> a quarter or over a quarter of our. Of our net worth. So it's a lot. If it went to zero, it would suck, but it wouldn't really uh, change our life much, except I'd be pretty angry and I'd probably sit there in a corner weeping for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, I think what I've decided to do, and this is probably stupid, fooled by Elon Musk, is hold on to it for a little bit longer and see if um, see if that version 12 actually comes to fruition. But even if it doesn't, I'd probably sell it off over a long period of time or we'd have a substantial tax bill. Right. And you've had it for a little while. So it would be like the long-term capital gain. 
Is that right? I calculated it. I think um, we'd have to pay 117000 in taxes. And that was a couple of weeks ago. It's dropped a little bit. So maybe a little bit less than that. But that's still a big check to write, right? Right. And um, yeah, I was going to say, like, if you spread it out over a few years, you could liquidate that. Um, and it probably wouldn't be like a huge deal for y'all, right? Yeah. On the flip side to this whole thing is if they actually did figure it out, it's super valuable. Like the robotaxi thing would probably be as valuable of a business as the car company and maybe more because you can, if you actually did figure that out, you could license it to other car companies, which they said they would do and all kinds of possibilities. They could use the neural net to train. You've seen the robot. We talked about that a little bit more. Optimus, uh, you had a very specific use case for, do you remember what your use case was? <laughs> I don't remember what. <laughs> what, what did I say? Are we was it off? Go ahead. What, what was it? Uh, it might have been off the air. I think you said, and I think you're pretty accurate about this. And Elon Musk has actually joked around about this, so you're thinking the same direction as us. But um, people joke they would use the the robot as a sexual part, partner. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. I think that's exactly what I probably said. Yeah, and Elon Musk said it'll have like a very. I forget, but he said uh, he hinted at those possibilities too. Mm. Maybe I shouldn't hold the stock if the CEO uh, talks about stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The robot could be huge if it could actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the thing that breaks through. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So you don't exactly know what you're going to do. You're going to hold the stock for a little while and hope for the best. Yeah, I think so. What if the robot gave you excuses like the robot would be like, you know, I've I have had a mood. Yeah, I've got a headache. Robot's like, I need to reboot again. It's like, oh, come on, you just rebooted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Before we move on, uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to Buy Me a Coffee. We'll put a link in there. There's a little extra content over there. And we share some pictures and photos. You do uh, some touching updates occasionally, only if you want to donate. But uh, yeah. Yeah, we've given a lot of our supporters t-shirts and we're going to continue to do that. I think we have some stickers coming up, which should be pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. we got some asparagus stickers coming up. So it'll be fun. By the time this comes out, a lot of people will be sporting the asparagus stickers. And I know... That probably rubs a few people the wrong way. They don't like it, the asparagus talk. And yeah. we got a new review over on uh, Apple Podcasts. Did you see it? Uh, I did not see it. I'll leave out the um, event uh, so as not to uh, disparage that event. But they said, um, it was very short. It said, I would not want to hang out with these guys at X event. And wow. I, yeah, three-star review. And I was like, man, at least people have an opinion. But... Um, some of these cut hard, you know, we're just a couple of guys. And I, I think most people, um, either they just avoid us at, at the events or they like us. I think a lot of people like us. They, they yeah. hang out with us. Yeah. So um, it's kind of cool with the internet how there's no filter, you know, those people don't give a fuck. <laughs> and they'll say whatever to be put on the reviews forever. I don't even know if you could take those down. Like even if you write a review, I don't even know if you could take them down later if you change your mind. So anyway, you could donate. I shouldn't have mentioned those two together, but uh, we appreciate the support. And the other thing to mention, we love these listener questions. We do these episodes are really fun. 
you can go to the Facebook group and ask questions and connect more with other people in the audience. And Carl, you've been heading it up over there. How's it going? You're kind of the moderator. Yeah, it's going pretty good. I think we have almost 300 people in there. We're currently doing a step challenge for the month of September. We have one crazy guy, uh, Sean, who we met at Camp Fi uh, mm. week two, All right. who's doing like 30 or 40,000 steps a day. So I've... I'm going to be in second or third place. Uh, kudos to you, Sean. We'll we'll send you a T-shirt or maybe one of our special edition scratch and sniff asparagus stickers. And do they smell like asparagus or do they smell like asparagus pee? The like, which is the it? pee, of course. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was hard to chase down. Um, so we had to kind of come up with our own special formula. And you actually don't even have to scratch them. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying? Nice. <laughs> yeah. So there's regular stickers that. We, tr we put a special treatment on. Anyway, check out the Facebook group. We'll link up to it. We got a question from uh, Australia, and I, I rephrased this with the help of ChatGPT. So, uh, Carl, you want to you wanna read this? You're a better reader than I am. Yeah, sure. And this guy's name is Tahir. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. T-A-H-I-R. Uh, I am 37 years old with around 1.3 million Australian dollars invested. I plan to use $800,000 to purchase a home outright, leaving $500,000 invested. Using the 4% rule, this $500,000 would, would provide about $20,000 per year in passive income. Currently, I work part-time as a college professor, making $50,000 per year for, 40 hours, for 20 hours per week. I enjoy teaching and see this as a good coast-fi job. Additionally, I tutor students. I tutor students? You said I was a better reader. You <laughs> sabotaged me. He tutors students as a lucrative side hustle, charging $100 to $130 per hour. However, I find the tutoring draining and want to reduce or eliminate it in the next few years. My original plan was to continue working part-time and tutoring for three more years, then at age 40, stop tutoring and just work part-time at the college. A recent podcast episode has made me question this plan, so I'm seeking thoughts on whether I should change my approach or continue my original plan. Um, okay. Yeah, and he's not really saying what he's going to uh he said he should change his approach or continue with his original plan. I'm not sure what he would change his approach to. When I think, I think what we can do is kind of analyze it from the options that he has here. And it looks like he's in a great, great spot. So I'll just state my observations and then we can go back and forth a little bit. But number one, you know, he's going to purchase a house outright, which may or may not be the best decision because it, it ties up all that cash. So I would look at that. Like you don't have to finance it with a traditional amount of money put down and have that equity tied up. But maybe you could put down a little bit more if you want to have a little bit less of a mortgage payment, that sort of thing. So I would look at that. And then the other thing is, you know, just straight to the side hustle where you're charging a lot per hour if it's draining and you want to eliminate it in the next few years, kick it out now, get rid of it, get rid of it right away. Like you're in such a good spot that I think you're okay to do that. So those are my two initial thoughts. What do you think, Carl? Yeah. So he's going to have a paid off house and I don't know how homes work in Australia, but right. I would reconsider that as well. For example, uh, we have a mortgage. I think it's like 2.8 for 8.5% and we make 5%. You can make 5% on an internet bank account and there's some time arbitrage in there. But 
I guess the fundamental question is if you think you had a reasonable chance of making more money in VTSAX from the cash, if you think you could make more money than you're going to put into the house, then the interest is on the house and it might be worth investing it. Um, and who knows what's going on down there now and with interest rates and all that, that might be hard to do at this moment. I know housing is pretty difficult down there too. I think, uh, there's a big frenzy in the housing market, depending on where you are down there. Um, yeah. The, the other thing he doesn't mention is how much he spends, mm -hmm. but he'll have 500,000 using the 4% rule. He could do 20,000 and then he makes 50,000 a year. So I don't know if that 50,000 a year is covering his expenses. I assume it is, or it probably is. So if I, and the one, just to interrupt you, Carl, yeah, because that, that is one piece missing. However, implicitly in this question, so my original plan was to continue working part-time and tutoring for three years and then stop at age 40 and stop tutoring and just work part-time at the college. So I, basically, I think if he stops the tutoring, then he would just have to work a little bit longer to reach like the five point. But if he's going to coast anyway, and he enjoys the part-time side hustle at the, as a college professor, then that is no issue. And then he gets rid of the tutoring. So it's kind of implied, but not exactly. Yeah. We don't know his expenses. Yep. Yeah. I agree. If you don't like it, get rid of it and just do what you love and uh, do what you love for another year or two longer. And with yeah. the extra time, you may also find another side hustle that you enjoy a little bit more than the tutoring. Yeah, so. that's a great point. So yeah, a couple uh, bullet points then. We don't know what it's like to purchase a house or the uh, interest rates in Australia. So it could be a little bit different than here. We question whether you should buy a place outright or have a mortgage, but it might be better in Australia. So consult a spreadsheet and see how that works out. And then if the tutoring is draining, then you can get rid of it. Sure. And one thing you can always do with a house, it doesn't have to be, if it's like America, it doesn't have to be a one and done situation. You could buy the house with cash and maybe that allows you to make a more competitive offer because you're coming in with cash. But then maybe you could do a refi and take some cash out of it should interest rates come down in the future. Perfect. And I think I think that's about it. I mean, great, great job at age 37, accumulating 1.3 million and then having the options and a part-time job that you enjoy. Like perfect kind of coast fi situation. And uh, someone mentioned it as like a glide fi. I can't remember who said that, but it's like you're still working a little bit enjoying the job, that sort of thing. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else on your plate, Carl? No, I think that's it. All right. Send us our, your questions. You could email us. That is in the show notes. Check out the Facebook group as well. And we have another question that we're going to do in a future episode. There's actually several, and this is from our friend Austin in Longmont. So, and it's it's all about um, actually drawing down and what re early retirement looks like. So we'll, we'll do that for an upcoming episode. So keep an eye out for that. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, 
Tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five. And uh, actually, we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. So we just hiked a 14er yesterday, Bierstadt. Have you done that one before? I have not. It was a perfect day. It's uh, September, it was September 25th when we did that hike. And absolutely perfect. It's a, it was a Monday, so it wasn't quite as crowded. We left here in Longmine at 6 a.m., got there about 8. And absolutely beautiful, not a cloud in the sky it wasn't windy. It took us about three and a half hours up, about two and a half down. It kicked our asses a little bit, but absolutely perfect day. I'm going to try and hike this coming Friday as well, just because the weather's so good. Yeah, nice. What are the what is the vertical elevation gain on that one? I think it was 2,800 feet, something like that. And when I logged the route on my watch, it said it was about eight miles. But on all trails, the app on my phone, it said it was about 7.25 or so. But it's not a super ag- aggressive. It's a, I think it's a class two. There's a little bit of scrambling, but it's a relatively like quick hike. Cool. We are going to be in Breckenridge soon. And there is one I like to do out there called Quandary. And that one is only three miles each way, but you have 3,000 feet of elevation gain. So it's a burner. You're just going up, up, up the whole time. Okay. And is there much scrambling or is it just like a hike? Uh, Maybe a little bit at the end. You're climbing over a steep boulder field, but I don't remember it being too technical. Okay. And man, our, our legs were just jelly going up and I am out of shape for like hiking and, and doing 14ers. Like a couple of years ago, I did longs. Um, you know, you hiked up to the keyhole area and then you ran out of time and needed to turn back. But um, yeah, I was in better shape that year just from doing um, a couple, you know, longer hikes. I did a 13er and then another long hike and then did longs and it was no big deal. Um, it was long and it was a difficult hike, but I was in much better shape than yesterday. I was just like, oh, Man, it's killing me. My my uh, my quads were hurting and burning. It was rough. Oof. Uh, have you seen those people who will do like every 14 or like all 52 of them? And like, I don't, can't remember what the record is. It seems like it's something crazy, like 40 hours. It seems like it would be longer than that, but maybe that's actually it. 
in 40 hours? I think so. I should look it up, but they do it very fast. They have drivers and they sleep and they just like shoot from one to the next one real fast. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was like one per day or something or like a couple per day if it made sense, but that seems way too fast in yeah. 40 hours. I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. <laughs> I, like, I know some guy just beat that. What? Hold on. Let's ask okay. Google. What is the record for doing all Colorado 14ers? You think it's going to give a, a good answer? Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I was way off. It, it was uh, the fastest time to climb. All 58 Colorado 14ers is nine days, 21 hours. Okay. Still really fast. Yeah. But uh, I was like, if you had to drive like the mileage, I'm like, I don't even know if you could make it in that amount of time. So anyway, how many 14ers have you done? Um, let's see. I've done the one in California. What is that? Um, Whitney. Yeah. Mount Whitney. I've done that one. I've done Quandary a couple of times. Um, on Princeton and that might actually be it for Colorado. Okay. Yeah. I've done three as well. I think you said three. I did longs and uh, Sherman and then we just did Bierstadt and then hopefully in a couple weeks we'll be able to knock out Quandry as well or all that'll be a new one for me but you've done that a couple of times yeah cool so yeah it's just I, I would want to do more but there it usually takes a little time to get there and then if you want to get started early in the day it's like you have to wake up at three in the morning or wake up at two so that you could leave at three so that you can complete the hike in enough time yeah but, I don't know. This time of year, you don't have as many thunderstorms. So people were starting at like, whatever, noon or two in the afternoon, and they were going to be fine because it's just perfect weather right now. Yeah. 